Lord, the truth of those two songs that we just sang and the way that they collide together, that you, the great I am, would also come and die on the cross for us. The wondrous cross that bids us come that we could die and find that we could truly live. Father, I pray that we'd be overwhelmed by that today as we look into the truth that that can make in each of our lives today in your word. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. So good to have our teens lead us into worship, isn't it? i got to tell you, I've, I've been ministered to by these guys pretty significantly these last two days. The prayer times that we've had together, and um, their hearts are real. And I don't know if you could tell it as they were singing, but these aren't just words. This is the truth of their life, and so we're glad to have them. I release the kids through grade four as the rest of us turn in our copy of God's Word to Acts chapter 5. And if you don't have a copy that you brought with you, there may be one underneath the chair in front of you or off to the side if you're in the overflows. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 5 as our kids take off. And we're looking at the truth today that the gospel has a cost. The gospel has a cost. And this summer, this kind of wraps up our summer um, as You've been following along, you know we've been looking at letters that live, God's timeless message to the early church. And so we've been looking at the truth of the gospel and how that gospel impacts our lives and impacts our lives individually, but then impacts our lives as a church as well. And so this is, in a way, the culmination of all of that. We're looking at a a big question. I had uh, somebody... A couple of weeks ago in my office, asked me if I'd seen the movie, Do You Believe? And I hadn't seen it yet. So I, I rented it and watched it. And it's a significant movie. Some of you were here Friday night and saw it. And it's a powerful movie that asks the question, do you believe? And if you do believe, what significant impact has that had in your life and through your life? So do you believe? In the midst of that movie, there were a, a couple of significant moments that, that really impacted my life. One of them was at a point in time where someone who had given a cross to a dying person had been taken to court then because of that. And the lawyer said, this cross is going to cost you. And I thought, wow, that's a powerful statement. And it asked, caused me to ask myself the question, what does the cross cost me? And then there was this other question that came out in the movie, and and I went online to try to find out who's the first person to ever ask this question. And that information isn't available, but the question is this. If you were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? If you were put on trial right now today, and the charge was you're a Christian, would there be enough evidence from your life, from the way that you live, from the way that you proclaim, Would there be enough evidence to convict you? And as I thought about that and and thought, how does that apply to the messages that we've been looking at this, this summer, I immediately thought of two men who were put on trial for being a Christian. 
Peter and John. And I thought, what would happen if we took a look at these two, these two men and their passage to see what happens when you're convicted of being a Christian? Because that's what happened. They were convicted of being Christians. And I think what we'll see is that we need to make every effort to be found guilty of being a Christian. So, are you ready to take a look at that? As we consider what it means to make every effort to be found guilty of being a Christian. We're just going to look at two verses today. What happens? Verse 41 of chapter 5. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Lord, as we look at this today, as we look at two men who were found guilty of being Christians, I pray, Lord, that it would move and inspire our hearts and our lives, that we could answer the question as well. We pray this in your name. Amen. The first thing we see in our text is that our salvation is a costly honor. Our salvation is a costly honor. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy. They had been counted worthy. These two men had been on quite a journey. They had been walking with Jesus for three years. And then they watched as he died on a cross. And as he rose again. And as he ascended into heaven. And their lives were impacted by that in a dramatic way, do you think? And they began to believe with all their heart that Jesus was who he said he was. He was God. And they began to believe that. And they understood as they believed that, that they had just been, had been revealed to them the greatest mystery of all. That Jesus Christ is God who has come in the flesh to die for our sins so that our relationship with God could be restored. The revelation of the greatest mystery of all. And the mystery that when revealed can change the world. And they believed with all their heart that as Jesus had said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, so go and tell. Be my witnesses. They believed with all their heart, if they did that, that God through them would change the world. And he did. Amen? And that call comes to us today. Do we believe what they believed? Do we, do we genuinely have the conviction that they had? It's said that we hold our beliefs, but our convictions hold us. They lived out of their conviction that God had indeed entrusted them with the message of peace for the world. And they moved on it, and they acted on it, and they were found guilty of obeying God. Make every effort to be found guilty of being a Christian. Salvation is a costly honor. 
As they, as they came, in chapter 3, it tells us they, they healed a man who had been lame. He, he had been born as, as a cripple, and he was crippled for his entire life, over 40 years. And he was right outside the temple gate called Beautiful, right on the eastern side of entering the courts. And, and he was there, and they healed him right in the middle of, of everything that's going on. And, and so in the temple courts... Where, where, where everybody was coming, in the court of the Gentiles, right near Solomon's uh, portico there, they were teaching and proclaiming this good news that, that, that God had entrusted to them. And as they proclaimed this, the people who ran the temple, the Sanhedrin, became very nervous about this. And it tells, tells us in chapter 4 that they seized Peter and John and put them in jail because it was evening, and the next day they brought them out. And they said to them, they said in verse 5 of chapter 4, chapter, verse 6, Annas the high priest was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them to question them, by what power or what name did you do this? See, by what authority... Did you heal this person? How, how did you heal him? Under, under whose authority did you heal him? Because we're the authority here, and you didn't come to us, so what authority are you using? What name have you used to heal this person? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, because he's, he's on trial, is there enough evidence to find him guilty of being a Christian? Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth who you crucified but whom God raised from the dead that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone the builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. When they, when they were brought into trial, they spoke boldly. And what did they use as their defense? The gospel. See, if you're put on trial for being a Christian, your defense is the gospel. Because if you're put on trial for being a Christian, what you're, what you're being put on trial for is believing that God has provided the answer for the problem that our sin has caused. And in order to proclaim defense, you have to proclaim the truth that you know that's been entrusted to you. So they told him, you can't talk about this anymore. And they said, well, we cannot help but speaking about what we've seen and heard. This had so changed their lives that they couldn't help but speak about it. There was nothing they could do. They had to talk about it because their life had been so completely changed. And they were, they were understanding that their salvation was a costly honor. So they went out and kept proclaiming. And, and they were arrested again and put in jail. And while they were in jail, chapter 5, verse 20, an angel came to them and said, Go stand in the temple courts and tell the people the full message of this new life. 
You might be in jail, but don't sweat that. Go out. Go right back to the temple courts. Go right to the place you were arrested at. Go there and proclaim the full message of this new life that you have. So they did as they were told. And they went. And they told the, the, the name. And they told the full message. And they were arrested again. Or, or they, and they were brought back in and brought to a second trial. In verse 29 of chapter 5, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sin. We are, we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom the Lord has given to all who obey him. So you see, here they come into trial again, and their, their, their defense is exactly the same. Their defense is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And understand that as they came, as they came to proclaim their defense, I believe with all my heart, they longed for the people who were charging them to understand and know the truth because they presented the gospel to them so they could respond to the gospel. What is the gospel? What is it that, that, that is so costly and why is it such an honor for us? The gospel is this unbelievable truth that God, God the Father, whose love is constantly bestowed on the eternal son, the son who always was, always is, and always will be, the eternal son and the eternal father in in an absolute perfect relationship with the Holy Spirit, our Trinity. Our God is three in one, always existing in perfect love and perfect relationship. You see, God didn't need us to be a father. God didn't need us to display his love. God displayed his love within himself from eternity past. And at some point in time, it's almost as if the love just so overflowed out of him because of who he is that it overflowed into creation. And creation was formed. And man and woman were created in the image of God. And they were designed by God to be in perfect relationship with him. And they were. Surely, they walked together in the garden, in the cool of the day. God and man and woman in the perfect relationship, them perfectly accepting the love that God was bestowing on them and him bestowing his love fully into their lives. And then that moment when Satan came, and said, God's not fair. God's not fair. See, God had said to Adam and Eve, there's a tree here in the garden that has a fruit that, listen, don't take that fruit. Because if you eat that fruit, you will die. And so the Satan came and he said, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? That doesn't seem fair. He didn't say that, I'm adding that. But you see, that's what Satan's ploy is, still is today, 
to convince us that God is not fair and is holding things back from us. And we move towards those things that Satan tells us God is holding back from us. That's called sin. And every one of the things that is called sin that we move toward brings death into our lives, separates us from God, just as it did with Adam and Eve. And a chasm was formed instantly because death, you see in Scripture, is separation. And the moment that they determined to take the fruit, believing that God was not fair and believing that they knew better for their lives, they immediately put a chasm between them and God. And there was nothing they could do to put that back together again. And it's the same for us. If we choose to believe that God isn't fair, we choose our own way rather than submitting to him that sin. And that sin causes a separation in our lives. And the minute that we do that, we move into a place of brokenness. Adam and Eve stepped into a place of brokenness. And for them, they understood and knew exactly what they had given up. For us, we're born not knowing, but but there's still the brokenness within us. Our sin has caused us to feel so broken apart from God. And so we try all these different ways to to fill that place of void and emptiness in our lives. We, We try to be successful in business. We try to have successful families. We try to build successful relationships. We, we cause all these other things to come into our lives to somehow bring peace into the place where there's extreme agony because of the ripping away of the relationship that we've been designed to have with God, the only one who can love us as we exactly are. And we live in that broken state. And in that broken state, we lash out with acts of terrorism. Some of them horrendous like what happened in France. Some of them just destroying our families or destroying ourselves. Because the wages of sin is death. That's hopelessness. If not for the cross. Because before Adam and Eve were created, before God even had his love flow out into this creation, he determined and knew that there was a plan that would need to be put in place, and he put that plan in place. And that plan was that he, in the person of Jesus Christ, the eternal son, would take on flesh and would come to this earth and redeem, buy back his people. He would pay the penalty of our sin. He would die on the cross and make the offer for each of us to be forgiven. The scriptures say here that he might give repentance and forgiveness. See, even the repentance that you have, the turning, because once we understand from our brokenness that the gospel is presented, that Jesus has come and he has died, the only thing that will bring repentance into our lives is the Lord drawing in our hearts. It says that the kindness of God leads us to repentance. As you see God and you see the design that he has for you to live and as you long for that out of your brokenness and you cry out and you say, God, please, I long for my relationship with you to be restored. He says, through Jesus it can be. Turn from the things you're doing. Repent. Turn 
Turn from the things that are causing the brokenness. Turn from your sin. Repent from those things. I will give you forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ and you can be restored into the relationship with me that I've designed for you to have. Can I get a witness? That's the gospel. Jesus died on the cross but the grave couldn't hold him. And three days later, he rose again. And he secured victory over the death. He secured victory over death for all of us who will believe and trust in him. And we can be with him forever. And the disciples watched as as this Jesus ascended into heaven back to the right hand of the Father where he sits today, waiting for the moment the Father says, now. And he says, yes. And he comes back to take us where he is, and we'll be with him forever, free from sin, death, always with him in perfect relationship, with a redeemed soul in a redeemed and glorified body. Man, is that an honor? Amen. Have you you experienced that in your life? Have you come to a place in your life where you've understood that your sin has separated you from God? And if so, have you turned to him? Have you repented? Have you asked him to forgive you? Have you asked him to become the Lord and Savior of your life? Have you found anew the design that God has, has for you? with him in perfect relationship. If you have, then you're guilty. You're innocent, but you're guilty of being a Christian. You are now, God sees you just as if you had never sinned. And what celebration does that bring in your life? Last Sunday was Adoption Sunday. How many of us celebrated that we're adopted? Because you see, that's what we're told in Scripture, is that the minute that we trust Christ as our Savior, He accepts us into His family. He adopts us as His very own children. Children of God. Adopted. It's a costly honor. Because it cost our Savior his life on the cross. His blood was spilled to wash away our sin. All who come to the cross can find forgiveness. So do I truly believe that my salvation is an honor? Do I truly believe that my salvation is an honor? Because listen... If I'm going to make every effort to be found guilty of being a Christian, the first thing I have to know is that my salvation is an honor. Nothing I've earned. Something that's been given to me by God. The second thing we see is that our honor can bring us shame. Your honor can bring you shame. And we see that in the verse. It says, they were rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. So they were, they were brought in by the uh, Sanhedrin and they were found guilty. 
And they wanted to be, they wanted to put them to death. But Gamaliel said, nah, not a good idea. Just let it go and see what happens. If it's, if it's of God, you won't be able to stop it. And if it's of man, it'll fizzle out. Which one do you think it is? Huh? It's of God. And it hasn't stopped. And the gospel continues to be proclaimed. So as they're found guilty, then what happens is they decide that the best thing to do in verse 40, they called the apostles in and had them flogged and they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. So upon being found guilty, they were brought in and they were flogged. And the flogging at this time would have been a a punishment of disgrace. It would have been whipped. This may be very well um, referring to the the 40 lashes minus one that was a, a typical punishment that was given. So they would have been whipped with a, a, a whip with three strands of leather 39 times in the, in, the, in the chest and the back. Skin breaking, blood, everything happening. As they were beaten, many people died under this type of, of punishment, this flogging that they received because they said, yes, we're Christians, and this is the message. This is the gospel. You see, when, when we go on trial for being Christians, and our defense is the gospel, when you present the gospel, there's different reactions that come to that. Because you see, the gospel puts people on trial. The very truth of the gospel puts people on trial because the gospel says you're guilty. You are guilty of sinning against Almighty God. And some people don't like hearing that. Some people respond very aggressively to that. That's why for these group of people in the Last part of chapter 4, when they were first released from the Sanhedrin, in, in verse 23, we're told, Peter and John went back to their own people, and they reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. You see, when, when they faced the adversity, and when, when they started to get attacked and, and, and brought into to trials because of proclaiming the truth of the gospel, because of, of, their, of their proclamation. The first thing they did when they faced adversity was go to prayer. They went to the church. They said, church, church, we're being told we can't speak anymore. And they said, let's pray. They didn't form a committee to solve the problem. They didn't decide what would be the best way to do it. They prayed. Because who's going to solve this problem? Okay, thank you, John. All right, God is going to solve this problem. Who are we going to talk to? God. And so they talked to him and they said, God, wipe out all the leaders so that we've got peace. No. What does it say? Sovereign Lord, you made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. It's all yours. We understand that you're sovereign. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. 
Why do nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. You want to know why what happened in France happened? Here it is. This is why, because leaders take their stand against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand would happen. Now, Lord, see, they recognized and knew they recognized and knew that God had determined beforehand that Jesus would have to come and pay this penalty. Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. In the midst of your adversity, whatever it is, instead of spending all your effort crying out for God to pull the adversity out of your life, pray that God will help you to be bold in the midst of your adversity, whatever that is. I watch on Facebook and I see people posting things about our president and saying he's an idiot and all these things. And you know what the scriptures say about if you call someone an idiot? You've murdered them, right? We, listen, you want to you wanna pray that someone comes into President Obama's life and leads him to Jesus, amen? Because listen, I understand 129 people died in France in these acts of terrorism. And that's terrible. That's tragic. But best guests are that 2% of the people of France have a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. 2%. So if those 129 people, if they were part of that, if, if, the, if that statistic holds true for them, then of those 129 people who died, 126 of them are spending forever in a Christless eternity. Now that's tragic. You see that? And the terrorists that strapped bombs on themselves are now forever in a Christless eternity. And that's not why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come so that people could step into a Christless eternity. Jesus came and died so people could step into an eternity with him forever. And our prayers need to be that we'll be bold in the midst of whatever adversity we're experiencing so that as many people as possible can come to know this truth. Because if we believe what Paul and, or what Peter and John believed, God can work through us to change our world. I am not content with coasting until Jesus comes. Are you? that we would be bold to proclaim even if it brings shame into our lives in a shame and honor society this punishment that they were given would have been it would have meant that it would produce shame in their lives but it didn't their dishonor revealed their honor their shame revealed their glory because their glory is Jesus Christ Listen, if we're going to be found guilty of being Christians, 
We have to make every effort to do this. We have to celebrate our salvation. We have, to, we have to be ready to suffer dishonor. And finally, we have to proclaim the good news everywhere, all the time. You see here, in, it says go. And, and go and proclaim the full message of the gospel. Once you have that prayer for boldness and once, once it comes into your life, then you're ready to go and proclaim this full message of this new life that you have. Are you excited about your new life? Are you excited about it? Yeah. What does that excitement look like? You had to admire his commitment. He made the decision to attend. He would not miss it. The weather was terrible that day. Steady rain, temperature in the 40s. But he still got out in the weather. Because of the bad weather, he did not quite make it on time. It was difficult to get to his seat as well, but he persevered. The seat wasn't comfortable, but he didn't leave or complain. His presence vividly demonstrated his love and his commitment. He was joyous the entire time. He enjoyed the presence of fellow believers. His attitude, his attendance, and his enthusiasm all reflected his deep and abiding commitment. He was at a college football game on a Saturday afternoon. Wow. What brings us joy? What, what brings us joy? If we're on trial for this, what is it in our life that stirs in our life and brings such joy that people say, wow, okay? You know, man, he's a Bear fan. You can tell he's a Bear fan, all right? I've watched on the Facebook and I've seen so many people have changed their, their profile picture to have the, the shadow of the French flag and I think that's wonderful for us to show our support. But listen, are you proclaiming the cross? Does your Facebook status make it clear that the most important thing in your life is your salvation and your desire for as many people as possible to know the secret, the mystery that's been revealed and that's been entrusted to you? Proclaiming, teaching, preaching, the good news that the Christ is Jesus. Listen, your faith and your testimony gives you a boldness to proclaim. What has the cross cost you? What has the cross cost you? Yes, it's true. Salvation is offered as a gift. But when received, it begs a response. What has it cost you? Has it cost you friendships? Has it cost you um, a lifestyle? Has it cost you embarrassment? Or has it cost you nothing? Jesus didn't die to save us from our sin so that we could continue to embrace sin. He died so that we would be free from sin and would proclaim the truth to a world that desperately needs to know. So God, I pray that you would arrest us with this truth, that we would be overcome 
with the truth, Lord, that the cross changes us. Give us a boldness to proclaim, Lord. Give us a passion for the lost, please, Father. Give us a joy because of our salvation, a joy unspeakable, even in the midst of adversity, because we are absolutely certain of the hope that we have. Oh, Lord, what could you do in Walworth County if each one of us were able to have the convictions that Peter and John had? What would it look like if our neighbors, our friends, our family were told boldly and prayed that they would come to know you? How would our world change, Lord, if we truly believed? Pray you'd help us find out in your name.